You're listening to Kalam Institute's podcast series, Sira, Life of the Prophet, by Sheikh Abdul Nasir Jangda. Visit us on the web at kalaminstitute.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash kalaminstitute. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. InshaAllah continuing with our study of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Asiratul Nabawiyah, the prophetic biography. In the previous session we were talking about the beginning of the actual wave of migration uh, from Makkah to Medina. And we talked about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of course, you know, facilitated uh, the opening of the gateway of Hijrah from Makkah to Medina provided a place where Muslims could actually seek sanctuary. Um, and then through divine revelation in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even you know, commanded the, the believers to start making the migration in the Hijrah. And the Prophet started sending the believers on their way from Makkah to Medina. We talked about some of the initial early people who migrated from Makkah to Medina. People like, of course, Musa bin Umayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. We talked about Ummu Salama and her family, Abu Salama and their son. And we talked about some of the early people. Last week's, um, you know, session focused on a lot of the struggles, the challenges, and the tragedies. The really, you know, heart-wrenching stories that were the reality of migrating from Makkah to Medina. And I kind of, I touched on this last week where I talked about how a lot of times when we think about Hijrah, we talk about migration. So it seems like a very victorious moment and no doubt about it, it was the beginning of something very beautiful and amazing. But we should not discount the fact, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that this was something that was very difficult, very challenging, life-threatening. And we saw the tragedy in the family of Abu Salama and what transpired with them the sacrifices that were being made. In today's session, we'll be talking about, along the same lines, we'll be talking about, again, the difficulties that people were enduring, the sacrifices people were making in order to be able to realize their deen. And I want the, uh, usually I talk about the take-home lesson towards the end, and I'll definitely bring it up again. But one thing that I want to emphasize here on the outset is that, you know, Going from Makkah to Medina wasn't just about escaping, you know, persecution and torture. There were many people who were hiding their Islam. There were many people who, quote-unquote, were living underground. You know, they were keeping their Islam secret. And as long as they kept their Islam secret in their heart, they had Iman. And every time they got a private moment, they were able to lock up the doors and pull the curtains and be able to pray. You know, for them, they could have gone on living safe and sound, keeping their secret to themselves, and that'd be that. But think about the fact that going from Mecca to Medina was a realization of their own iman. And that's why the scholars even write that hijrah was something that was mandated. It was obligatory, it was necessary in order to realize, to actualize their iman, to realize their deen, to be able to live their Islam to the fullest, and be able to practice Islam properly, they had to make this sacrifice. They had to give up their homes, they had to give up, you know, even sometimes family and friends, they had to give all of this up, you know, undertake this very dangerous journey, 
with the threat of being followed and even killed along the way and show up in an unknown place with nothing in hand, no connection, no relationship. Of course, there is a relationship of Iman and Islam, which we'll talk about the muakhat and all of that later. But just from a worldly perspective, from a normal human worldly perspective, you're just showing up empty-handed in an unknown place amongst a bunch of strangers. And so that is a huge sacrifice. But that was what was required of them if they were going to realize their iman, their Islam, their faith, their religion. If they were going to live it, if they were going to practice it. And so when we read about these stories and these sacrifices, these unbelievable, huge sacrifices that these people are making, what needs to be kept in mind is that this is what these people were willing to do in order to practice their deen. And like I said, I'll, talk, I'll touch on this again towards the end of it, but what I want us to keep in mind, even while we're listening to this and reading this and talking about this, what I want us to keep in mind is that what level of sacrifice are we willing to make in the practice of our deen? You know, a lot of times what's required of us, and of course there's exceptions to this, and I don't mean to minimize and to uh, trivialize the sacrifices some people truly do make. It's truly admirable. We have people that remind us of the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, you know, in our communities even today. But for a lot of us, I can speak for myself, that for a lot of us it's what's required in order to practice our deen isn't, can't even really be classified as sacrifice. At the most, you can call it an inconvenience. An inconvenience. You know, it's like if I come to the masjid every single day and I step out from my home to come to Salat al-Isha and I see a little bit of rain outside and I'm like, mm, mm. <laughs> So it's, it's an inconvenience at the most. And so it's, this is where the study of the life of Rasulullah wasallam, the life of the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, the history of our deen and our religion is so necessary for us to study so that we can contextualize, so that we can place within the context and really understand the reality of our practice of our deen. And so that's where this becomes profoundly you know, um, important. So today we'll be talking about a couple of different... Uh, stories. We'll start off by talking about Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. There's a narration that is not mentioned by some of the more popular, some of the more authoritative books of seerah, Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Hisham, you know, Ibn Kathir, rahimahumullah, they don't mention this particular incident, but it is mentioned within some of the books of seerah, um, that talks about Ibn al-Athir for instance mentions it in Asad al-Ghaba that it talks about it's a narration from Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu he says ma alimtu anna ahadan min al-muhajirina hajra illa muhtafiyan that every single person who was making hijrah at that time in that phase Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu was of course right there by the side of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam helping him just kind of handle and manage the affairs and so he says that we were keeping tabs on who was going and who was leaving and who was departing and every single person that made hijrah made it secretly privately quietly because of the danger at hand illa umar ibn khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu except for umar radiallahu anhu فَإِنَّهُ لَمَّا هَمَّ بِالْهِجْرَةِ تَقَلَّدَ سَيْفَهُ وَتَنَكَّبَ قَوْسَهُ وَانْتَضَى فِي يَدِهِ أَسْهُمًا وَاخْتَصَرَ 
anazatahu wa madaqib al kaaba he says when umar radiyallahu ta'ala made the intention for hijrah he hung his sword around his neck he put the bow you know like a bow and arrow he put the bow on his shoulder he pulled out from his you know the quiver he pulled out a bunch of arrows and held them in his hand and he walked towards the kaaba so you know in our, in our day and age like he'd look like you know commando so he looked like rambo he was completely you know geared armed to the teeth and he's marching towards the kaaba when he gets there wal mala'u min quraish there was a whole bifanaiha the whole like leadership of quraish was around the kaaba so he made tawaf of course and then he went and he prayed his two rak'at then he stood in front of the group one narration says he went from group to group and he made the announcement to them that man arada an yuthkila ummahu aw yu'tima waladahu aw yurmila zawjatahu falyalqani wara'a hadha alwadi he says anyone who wants his mother to cry over him meaning that's an expression for saying whoever wants their mother to cry at their janaza whoever wants to orphan their children whoever wants to widow their wives then please come see me outside and what's interesting about this is that at the same time there's a little bit of a tanaqud here and I'll mention this when you read about the next when when we talk about the story of the hijra of Umar ibn Khattab radiyallahu ta'ala anhu you also at the same time get a little bit of an idea though there was some strategy here they were trying to leave quietly how do we reconcile these two things he doesn't actually tell them that i am making hijra he just kind of went there to just get it out of his system and kind of put these people back on their heels a little bit and no doubt he was probably frustrated by the simple fact that they were chasing after everyone who was making hijrah they were persecuting people so he went there to kind of put everybody in their place ali ibn abi talib radiyallahu ta'ala anhu says falam yattabi'u ahadun illa qaumun min al-musalla'afina 'allamahum ma arshadahum ilayhi thumma mada li wajhihi that nobody followed him out a bunch of the weak muslims that were kind of there when they saw the scene they followed him out just to kind of go with him you know when somebody kind of says something like that then you kind of get behind him be like yeah yeah what are you going to say now so he says some of the weak muslims kind of went you know followed him out like what now say something you got our we got our boy with us you don't want to say nothing to us now and they all followed him out of the kaaba and he started telling people go on your way go on your way go on your way make hijra these people will not do anything to you so umar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu was basically trying to make it a little bit more easier for some of the people who were making hijra the story of the hijra of umar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu himself is mentioned by numerous of the historians and the scholars ibn ishaq mentions that and in another narration actually says that there were three people um who had decided that they would make hijra migration together umar ibn khattab radiyallahu ta'ala anhu ayash bin abi rabi'a radiyallahu ta'ala anhu and there was a third one amongst them who was not able to make it there his name was hisham the third one was hisham i'm trying to find his complete name i khair either way there was a third individual with them whose name was hisham um hisham and Ayash 
bin Abi Rabi'ah and Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, they decided that they would do hijrah migration together. What they decided was that there was a place that they used to refer to as the um, place of tanadub, a tanadib. A tanadib basically refers, referred to a place where a specific type of plant used to grow outside of Mecca. And so they said that, and this was a little bit away from Mecca where Banu Ghifar lived. And so they said that all three of us kind of individually leave Mecca quietly. And we will meet up there at this place of Tanadib. And if we find each other there, then we'll make the hijrah, the migration together. If somebody's not able to make it, we'll take that as a signal that for whatever reason you were not able to make the journey... And whoever else does show up there will go about on their way. So if two people make it there and the third one doesn't show up, we'll wait for a little bit there, but then understand that we will move on. So this was kind of the agreement that they had so they could make the hijrah, the migration together. So Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu goes on to say that, when I reached there, I found, فَأَصْبَحْتُ أَنَا وَعَيَّاشِ عِنْدَ تَنَاضِبْ وَحُبِسَ هِشَامْ وَفُتِنَ فَفْتَتَنَا he says that myself and Ayash in the morning, we found each other at the meeting place that we had designated. We didn't find Hisham and we figured that he had been kept back. And he says, eventually found out that he in fact had been kept back in, in Mecca. He had been trapped and, you know, restricted from leaving. And so he ended up staying back. And he says something very interesting. He says, Wafutina faftatana. He was put into test and trial, and he fell into the test and trial. And I'll explain the meaning of this in a little bit. So he says that we, myself and Ayash, we made our way to Medina, uh, to Al-Madina. He says that Abu Jahal and Harith bin Hisham, they heard about myself and Ayash leaving Mecca and making it to Medina. Abu Jahal and Harith bin Hisham came out after us. And there was a reason here. I've talked about this in the Islam of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was the nephew of Abu Jahl. Amr bin Hisham. He was his nephew. And specifically mentions about Harith bin Hisham that he was, uh, he was related to, this, uh, to Ayash. Ayash was related to Harith bin Hisham. So he specifically comes there to Ayash and myself. They try to talk to me. I tell them, I don't want to hear anything you have to say. I have no interest in talking to you. You're wasting your breath. You're wasting your time. It's best if you go back. I wasn't going to have any of it. They went to Ayash and they spoke to him. And they said, Harith bin Hisham, who was related to Ayash, so he was family, he said that, do you know what happened to your mother after you left? Your mother has sworn that she will never, like the, the expression that he used, إِنَّ أُمَّكَ قَدَ نَذَرَتْ أَلَّا يَمَسَّ رَأْسَهَا مُشْتٌ حَتَّى تَرَاكْ She will never comb or brush her hair again until she sees you. Which was an expression of like, I'm not going to take care of myself. I'm not going to do anything until, you know, she sees you. وَلَا تَسْتَظِلَّ مِنْ شَمْسٍ حَتَّى تَرَاكَ And she will sit out in the sun and not seek any shade from the sun until she sees you. فَرَقَّ لَهَا This was his mother. So Ayash felt really bad. He felt really guilty. 
So what do I do? What do I do? Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that, Wallahi, faqultu lahu, innahu wallahi in yuridukul, in yuridukul qawm, illa liyaftinuka an dinika fahdharhum. He said, I swear to you, these people are just trying to take you away from your religion. That's all they're trying to do. They're trying to take you away from your deen. So be careful. Be careful with these people. Don't trust them. Don't listen to them. For wallahi law qad aadha ummaka al-qamlu lam tashatat. He says that if your mom gets lice, she'll clean her hair. And he says that walau qad ishtadda alayhi harru makka lastadallat. And he says that if the heat becomes too strong, she'll go sit under the shade. He's like, it just doesn't make sense. Don't listen to them. It doesn't make sense. And Umar radiallahu ta'ala is of course probably speaking from knowledge as well. He knows Ayash. He's letting him know that this doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound like your mom. It doesn't sound logical. It doesn't sound right. So I seriously advise that you don't listen to these people. فَقَالَ أَبُرُّ قَسْمَ أُمِّي he says, I have to go and take, you know, go and check on her. I have to go and find out. And he goes, and you know, it kind of works out. Because I left in such a hurry, I still had a lot of money in Makkah. So I'll go and get my money and that way I'll actually have something here to start a life with. I won't be empty handed. So, قَالَ قُلْتُ وَاللَّهِ إِنَّكَ لَا تَعْلَمُ أَنِّي لَمِنْ أَكْثَرِ قُرَيْشٍ مَالًا فَلَكَ نِصْفُ مَالِي وَلَا تَذْهَبْ مَعَهُمَا Umar ibn Khattab says, you know how wealthy I am. Why was Umar wealthy? He's from royalty basically. He's the nephew of Abu Jahl. I've talked about it previously. Umar was like a diplomat, a delegate before Islam. So he says, I have a lot of money. I have more money than pretty much anybody you know. He says, I will give you half my money. What are you so worried about? Please don't go with them. They're friends. They're brothers. They've made hijrah together. Right? So he says, please don't go. Don't do this. So he says, I have to go. He ended up going with them. So he says that when he ended up going, he's... Uh, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said to him, أَمَّا إِذْ قَدْ فَعَلْتَ مَا فَعَلْتَ فَخُدْ نَاقَةِ هَذِهِ فَإِنَّهَا نَاقَةٌ نَجِيبَةٌ ذَلُولٌ فَالْزَمْ ظَهْرَهَا فَإِنْ رَابَكَ مِنَ الْقَوْمِ رَيْبٌ فَانْجُوا عَلَيْهَا He says at the very least, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu told him, my brother, at the very least do this much. Take my camel. My camel is extremely obedient and very fast and swift. It's, a, it's an awesome camel. He says, take my camel. So at the very least, if you start feeling doubtful, you feel like, you know, these people got something up their sleeve, they have bad intentions, you can get away from there quickly. So he says, okay. So Abu Jahal and Harith bin Hisham and Ayash radiallahu ta'ala anhu, they leave Medina and they're on their way back to Makkah. A little while later, Abu Jahal says to him, he says, my camel, you know, we came all the way and we're heading right back. My camel's starting to slow down a lot. It's very uncomfortable to sit on. Can we just switch for just a little bit? And I just need some rest from my camel. It's not very comfortable. So he says, okay, fine. You know, sincere, honest people. He says, sure, no problem, fine. As soon as he says that we sat the camels down, and we got down from the camels. Harith bin Hisham and Abu Jahal jumped on me, pinned me down, and tied me up, restrained, you know, uh, 
basically tied me up and then they put me onto the camel, tied the camel to their camel and took me back to Mecca as a prisoner. And when I got back to Mecca, they basically locked me up. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that, فَكُنَّا نَقُولُوا لَا يَقْبَلُ اللَّهُ مِمْ لَا يَقْبَلُ اللَّهُ مِمَّنْ إِفْتَتَنَا تَوْبَةً وَكَانُوا يَقُولُونَ ذَلِكَ لِأَنفُسِهِمْ Making hijrah, I told you, was something that was mandatory for these sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum. And anyone who did not make the hijrah, like as long as you know there wasn't some serious health or whatever concern, but people who were not willing to make the hijrah or didn't make it for financial reasons or they were just afraid or whatever the case was, he says our understanding of that was these were people who had fitna in their iman. These were people of weak faith. And there was a lot of talk, they started to say about themselves, people like Ayash and Hisham who were kept back and others as well, they started saying that Allah will not accept our repentance. Allah will not forgive us for this. For not making the hijrah, the migration, and listening to Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And we started saying that about them as well. Until the Prophet ﷺ, when he reached Medina, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the ayat, قُلْ يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ لَا تَقْنَطُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ جَمِيعًا إِنَّهُ هُوَ الْغَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the ayah that, Say, O my slaves, Ya ibadi, alladheena asrafu ala anfusim, the ones who have done wrong amongst themselves, against themselves, those people who have prevented themselves from realizing their own deen and their their own iman. La taqnatu min rahmatillah, do not lose hope in the mercy of Allah. Now you see specifically why this ayah talks about the mercy of Allah and not the forgiveness of Allah. Because it talks about the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not only because the mercy is of course representative in the means of the forgiveness, but it specifically also says, do not lose hope in the mercy of Allah that the mercy of Allah might still come to your aid and your rescue and you might be given a way to still make it out of this circumstance and be able to make the migration. Not only will Allah forgive you, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant you the ability to realize your deen. Don't lose hope in the mercy of Allah. Inna Allah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala most definitely is fully capable of forgiving all of the sins of a person. Innahu al rahim. He most definitely and only He is constantly forgiving and constantly merciful. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that, I, when I, when this, uh, the Prophet recited this ayah to us, I wrote this ayah down with my own hands. فَكَتَبْتُ بِيَدِي فَكَتَبْتُهَا بِيَدِي I wrote this ayah down with my own hands. وَبَعَثْتُ بِهَا إِلَىٰ هِشَامِ بْنِ الْعَاسِ That's the name of the Hisham that we were talking about. Hisham ibn al-'As. He says, I sent it to Hisham. قَالَ هِشَام فَلَمَّا أَتَتْنِي جَعَلْتُ أَقْرَأُهَا بِذِيْتُوَنْ أُصَاعِدُ بِهَا فِيهِ وَأُصَوِّبُ وَلَا أَفْهَمُهَا حَتَّى قُلْتُ اللَّهُمَّ فَهِمْنِيهَا فَأَلْقَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى فِي قَلْبِي أَنَّهَا إِنَّمَا أُنزِلَتْ فِيْنَا وَفِيْمَا كُنَّا نَقُولُ فِي أَنفُسِنَا وَيُقَالُ فِيْنَا Hisham radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that I wrote this ayah down and I sent it to my brother Hisham, who had been held back and not allowed to make the hijrah. And Hisham says, when I received this letter from Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, I read this ayah. And every day in the morning, because they were keeping watch on me, but still, you know, I was able to move about in a certain area, I'd go and climb up onto a hill and I would sit on the hill just thinking about my situation. And then I would come back down in the evening from the hill 
And he says, all day long, when I'd go up the hill, I'd sit up there and I'd read this ayah over and over and over again. And then I would come back down from the hill at the end of the day, and I still didn't understand what the connection, why he sent this to me. Like meaning my just heart wasn't ex- embracing this, this ayah. He says, until I made dua, Allahumma fahimniha. And so we learn from the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum that we have to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the reality and the understanding of the Qur'an. He says, I finally prayed to Allah. I said, oh Allah, please give me the reality of this. Give me the understanding of this. He says, until my heart found contentment and peace and tranquility and satisfaction in the fact that this ayah was about me. And about what, what we were thinking about ourselves. And what people were saying about us. That Allah had, Allah had opened His doors of forgiveness and His mercy for us. And I started reading the ayah and praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And He says until, and I kept reading and praying and asking Allah for forgiveness and kept reading this ayah until that time finally came where I was able to go and join the Prophet ﷺ in Al-Madinatul Munawwara. Now, the story gets even more interesting from here because the story mentions that the Prophet of Allah wasallam requested in Medina, when the Prophet ﷺ reached Medina, the Prophet ﷺ knowing about Hisham bin Al-As and knowing about Ayash bin Abi Rabi'ah and probably Umar radiallahu ta'ala who told the Prophet ﷺ that I had two brothers, two other people with me. One never was able to make the journey, the other one made the journey and then was tricked into going back and taken prisoner. Ya Rasulullah, they're still stuck over there. But they're good solid believers, but they're stuck. So. The Prophet ﷺ said, Who will help me? Who will help me with, in regards to Hisham bin, uh, bin Al-As and Ayash bin Abi Rabi'ah? Who will help me? Walid bin Walid. This is the brother of Khalid bin Walid. Walid bin Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, I will, Ya Rasulullah. I'll take care of this. Walid bin Walid says that, I went back to Makkah quietly. I snuck into Makkah. And he says, you know, he was, he was just like his brother. He was a very, you know, skilled fighter, very brave man. So he says, I snuck in and I saw a woman. When I got snuck into Mecca, I saw a woman who was carrying like, you know, water and some food and this and that around the area where I heard that they were keeping them, but I didn't know exactly where they were. So I asked this woman, she seemed like, you know, like a servant. So I asked her, where are you going? And she said, oh, there are these two guys, they got locked up here somewhere. And they gave me this food and water and said, take it to them. I said, oh, okay, that's interesting. I just pretended like I was minding my own business. And I just kind of like, you know, followed her. And, you know, kind of checked out where they were keeping these two guys. And until she gave them food, water, or whatever, and she left. So he says, I approached this place and it was... It was basically four walls. They were really high walls. But it didn't have a roof. It didn't have a ceiling. And they were inside there tied up. So he says, you know, being, having the ability to do so, I scaled the wall. He says, I, I, I first what I did was I took some rocks. I found some rocks. And I, you know, I let them know, where are you guys? You know, move away from the wall. And I threw the rocks in there. And then I climbed up on the wall. I was able to climb up on the wall using my sword. And I jumped over into where they were being kept. 
I tied, you know, I cut up the restraints. And then I stacked up the rocks. And I told them, get on top of these rocks and jump over the wall. And they both went, one after another. And then I joined them. And then I had an animal ready. And all three of us rode our way back to Medina. And the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum talk about the scene that when they arrived into Medina, Hisham bin al-As, because they had been kept prisoner and probably tortured and beaten during this time, Hisham bin al-As and Ayash bin Abi Rabi'ah, they were riding on the animal and Al-Walid ibn Al-Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhum, may Allah be pleased with him, was holding the rope of the camel walking it along. And he brought his brothers back to Medina. So this is the story of all the difficulty and the adversity that people were going through. This is what it was taking in order for people to be able to go to Medina, just to be able to live as Muslims openly, publicly, safe. And have the freedom, the ability to practice their deen, their religion. These are blessings that we cannot take for granted. It's very easy to take it for granted. I, I, I'm the most guilty of this. We don't under, when we're born into a situation, we lived our whole life in a situation where there's no obstacle, no oppression, no intrusion, no obstruction to practicing our deen, we take these blessings for granted. But look what these people had to go through. And then also you see the element of community, the willingness to sacrifice for one another. Walid bin Walid, you know, puts his own life into danger in order to be able to bring his brothers back. The, 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 the one very interesting thing that's mentioned is that um, as Walid bin Walid was kind of holding the rope of the camel, walking them along over time, you know, the rope must have been kind of tearing up his hand after a while and, you know, causing a little bit of a rope burn or whatever. After some time, he looked at his hand and he noticed that his finger was bleeding. And this is a very famous poem, Walid bin Walid said when he looked down at his finger, he said, هَلْ أَنْتِ إِلَّا أُصْبُعٌ دَمِيتِ وَفِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ مَا لَقِيتِ He says, you're nothing but a finger that is bleeding, and what, whatever difficulty or pain is coming upon you is happening in the path of Allah, so it's more than worth it. هَلْ أَنْتِ إِلَّا أُصْبُعٌ دَمِيتِ وَفِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ مَا لَقِيتِ a similar story like this, and we'll probably end with this mention of this incident. This is a very famous incident whenever we talk about the hijrah, the migration. And this is the story of Suhaib al-Rumi radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who was a Roman who had come as an immigrant to Mecca and settled there in Mecca. So he was a Muslim, a believer, a very early believer. He says himself that when I made the intention to migrate, when I made the intention to leave Mecca, and I started kind of preparing and gathering my things together, some of the leaders of Quraysh found out that that was my intention. So they came to me, and they said, Ataytana sul'ukan haqiran. You came to us as a poor, lowly man. فَكَثُرَ مَالُكَ عِنْدَنَا وَبَلَغْتَ الَّذِي بَلَغْتَ ثُمَّ تُرِيدُ أَنْ تَخْرُجَ بِمَالِكَ وَنَفْسِكَ you came to us as a poor, lowly, you know, wanderer, you know, just a vagabond, just a traveler. You came to us, and then you settled down here, and you, mashallah, you know, like you, you got a lot of wealth and a lot of money, you did really well for yourself, you basically, you know, thrived in our community, in our society. Now you think you're just gonna pack up and take all your money and just leave just like that, and that's how this works? It doesn't work that way. So he said that, 
They said, Wallahi la yakunu dalika. We're not going to let you do that. فَقَالَ لَهُمْ سُهَيْبَ أَرَأَيْتُمْ إِنْ جَعَلْتُ لَكُمْ مَالِي He says, well, what about if I gave you all of my money? أَتَخَلُّونَ سَبِيلِي Then would you let me go? You can have all my money. All the, every last single penny I've ever made here, which was quite a bit, he had done very well for himself. He says, you can have all of it. Just get out of my way and let me go. They said, sure, no problem. That sounds fine. That's fine by us. He says, you can have all my money. He then talks about that I made the hijrah, I made the migration. When I reached the Prophet of Allah wasallam, in one narration, he says, the Prophet, when I reached there, the Prophet wasallam was still at the place of Quba. So we haven't talked about the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ. We're going to talk about that in the next session. But when the Prophet ﷺ made the hijrah, the migration, when he reached, you know, instead of going directly to Madinatul Munawwarah, he stopped in Quba and he stayed for a number of days at Quba, which we'll talk about how many days exactly that was. So he says the Prophet ﷺ was still at Quba, meaning he had just reached here. And I joined in behind. He says my intention was to try to, you know, go along with the Prophet ﷺ, but this whole situation with the Quraysh, it held me back. So by the time I reached there, the Prophet was still at the place of Quba. قَبْلَ أَنْ يَتَحَوَّلَ مِنْهَا Before he went into Medina. فَلَمَّا رَآنِي When the Prophet saw me, in one narration he said, يَا أَبَا يَحْيَا يَا أَبَا يَحْيَا That was his kunia, Abu Yahya. He says, يَا أَبَا يَحْيَا رَبِحَ الْبَيْعُ رَبِحَ الْبَيْعُ he said, this was an amazing deal, an amazing deal that you made. In another narration, he says that the Prophet of Allah said, Rabbi Hasuhayb, Rabbi Hasuhayb. Suhayb, you know, made the good deal. Suhayb made a profit. Suhayb won out. He, he, he turned a profit. He turned a profit. And he says, فَقُلْتُ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ He says, O oh, Messenger of Allah, مَا سَبَقَنِي إِلَيْكَ أَحَدٌ He says, there was nobody who left, Madin, who left Makkah after you before me. So think about where Suhaib radiallahu ta'ala anhu's mind goes. He says, Ya Rasulullah, nobody left Makkah after you but before me. Because we were all keeping tabs on each other. After you, I was the next person to leave. So there's no way possible for you to know about what transpired with me. وَمَا أَخْبَرَكَ إِلَّا جِبْرِيلُ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ that means Jibreel alayhi salam told you about my situation. The Prophet said yes. And so Suhaib radiallahu ta'ala immediately thought of that. And, and this is what they prided themselves on. This is what they were encouraged by. That Ya Rasulullah, Jibreel alayhi salam would come and tell you about me, lowly old me. I did nothing. I gave up a few pennies, a few darahim, a few dananir. For the sake of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the Prophet said that your sacrifice was appreciated by Allah. And Jibreel alayhi salam came and informed me of your sacrifice. But again, to contextualize it, even though Suhaib radiallahu ta'ala is a lot more excited by the fact that Jibreel alayhi salam is talking about me. Even though he's more excited about that fact, we need to still understand and appreciate. This is a man who literally took the keys to his car, the deed to his house, the title of his car, his bank account. He took everything and put it all on the table and he said, take all of it. And then went empty-handed to Medina. Because getting to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and be by the side of Rasulullah is worth more to me than all the money in this world. You can have all of it. And he made that sacrifice. And 
the scholars of the seerah mentioned by name many of the other individuals you know who made the hijrah and the migration we won't go through all of their names but hamza bin abdul muttalib zaid bin haritha um, Abdurrahman bin Auf, Ubaidat ibn al-Harith, and many, many other notable people, Zubair ibn al-Awam, and so many other remarkable Sahaba, Bilal, uh, Bilal ibn Rabah, Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and so many other amazing notable Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum also made the hijrah and the migration at this time as well. And they all went there and settled into Al-Madinatul Munawwara. The last thing I'll mention just to kind of end on a lighter note is Suhaib radiallahu ta'ala anhu has a really uh, beautiful exchange with the Prophet sallallahu So when he arrives at Quba, of course he's come empty-handed left in a hurry. As soon as he made this business deal, he pretty much went from here, like on the table, he put everything on the table, and went straight from the table to Quba. Went straight from here to Quba. Didn't even go back home, didn't sleep on it, didn't... Because he said, I need to get out while these people are so entranced by this money that they don't think twice about me. I gotta get out of here. So he went straight away, and he had no supplies, no nothing on him. He left everything on the table. So he finally gets to Quba, very tired, very hungry, famished, you know, all of that. Very, of course, excited and relieved to see the beautiful face of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But then, of course, the Prophet also seeing his situation and circumstance, you know, tells him, come and have a seat and sit down. And, you know, he says, you know, bring him some water, bring him some food. And so according to the tradition and the culture, they bring water, they bring dates. So Hayb radiallahu ta'ala anhu had like an infection in his eye. And typically, you know, I don't know if this still stands true or not. You know, we'll have to ask a doctor or physician. I have absolutely zero knowledge of this. But at that time, what their understanding was that if you had like an infection or something like this, then you shouldn't eat dates. That was their remedy for it. You need to not eat dates if you have that, you know, some type, that type of illness going on. And because it'll aggravate it. So Hayb radiallahu ta'ala who's starving, he's hungry, he's tired. So he starts plucking the dates and starts eating the dates. And the Prophet of Allah sallallahu says, so, Ya Suhaib, you have this, you have an infection in your eye, you have a sore eye, and you're eating dates. And he said, Ya Rasulullah, I'm eating it from the other eye. So the Prophet even laughed. He says, I remember the Prophet laughing like I made him laugh. And he said, that's just such a memorable moment for me. To be able to make it, to be safe, to be sitting in front of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi and to see the beautiful, shining, smiling face of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa He said, that made everything worth it. These are the sacrifices these people made. Like I started off by saying, this is, this is what these people were willing to sacrifice. But this is what they were sacrificing for. What level of inconvenience are we willing to tolerate, put up with, deal with in order to be able to put our face on the ground before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in order to be able to learn about the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi in order to be able to live life like the messenger sallallahu alaihi because remember the prophet of Allah sallallahu alaihi taught us that a person will be with whomsoever he loves al-mar'u ma'aman ahab and if we practice we try we strive to love Allah and His Messenger and we're willing to inconvenience ourselves. Make little sacrifices here and there. Little. Sometimes like in my case, I can't even call it a sacrifice. It's an inconvenience. If I'm willing to inconvenience myself to develop the love of Allah and His Messenger the hope, the dua, the prayer is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I will 
have the blessing and the opportunity to be with Allah and His Messenger وسلم, in the life of the hereafter. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all that dignity, that honor, that blessing. Subhanallahi wa bihamdihi, subhanakallahu wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nasakfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Jazakumullah khair.